Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Claire. Good morning, everyone. No Welsh accents this morning. Okay. Uh, We've had um, some fun, haven't we, looking at loving our neighbor uh, and how we need to connect with our neighbor and then connecting with the persecuted church um, last week. I had the great privilege this last week of going to Athens and being with 150 different mission organizations who are working with refugees um, right across uh, Europe, the refugees that have come into Europe. And just a, a brief story from that to encourage you. Um, there was a lady there from uh, Somalia. Now, Somalia, um, despotic country, completely broken down, 99.9% Muslim. And uh, this lady uh, fled with her husband to Sweden um, about 10 years ago. And uh, there she was sent a video um, of uh, ISIS decapitating a Christian. And uh, she looked at that video and decided that she didn't want to be a Muslim anymore. So she cried out to God and said, reveal yourself to me. And uh, he did. He appeared to her in a vision and in a dream, and she was taken up into heaven, and she saw heaven, and she saw Jesus, and she gave her life to Christ, having gone and found a Bible and started reading it on her own. And her husband decided that he was going to start to read the Bible so he could prove her wrong, um, and spent three years studying the Bible to prove her wrong, and eventually gave his life to Christ as well. And those two, as a couple, then moved to the UK. And over the last um, three years, uh, they've started an internet ministry on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Skype, and have between them led 650 Somalis to Christ on the internet. And together, <laughs> together are mentoring those people over Skype. Isn't that incredible? And I was able to go and say to them, last Sunday in church, we we prayed for the persecuted church and we signed a petition to stand with you and to stand alongside you and to pray with you. You are not forgotten. Um, And uh, we love you and we love what you're doing in the name of Jesus. Um, But this morning, we're looking at the subject of connecting with God. You know, we were all built for connection, weren't we? Don't you just love it when we get that deep sense of connection with one another, that deep sense of connection with family, that deep sense of connection, those moments when we connect with God. But why is it that we find it so hard? Why do we find it so difficult? I want to ask you uh, this morning what you're ashamed of. Have a think for a moment. Maybe you're ashamed of your family, your upbringing, where you came from, your parents. Maybe you're ashamed of your education or your lack of it. Maybe you're ashamed of pornography and an addiction which you've tried to get free of for years, but you've just found it too hard to break out of. Maybe you're ashamed when you look in the mirror in the morning, ashamed of your body, or ashamed of your fitness levels, or your health. 
Maybe you're ashamed of the job that you do or your difficulty in providing for your family. Or maybe you're ashamed that you haven't got a job. Brenny Brown is a researcher into shame. That's her job. That's what she does for a living. She researches all of us and the shame that we have. And she has this one, two, three of shame. Um, if, you, if you're a TED Talk fan, um, she is one of the top TED Talks ever. Go and watch it. It's 20 minutes. It will change your life and the way you think about shame as you listen to her. But she has this one, two, three of shame. We all have shame. It's universal. So if you were feeling ashamed of one of those things that I put up just now, you're in really good company, okay? I have shame. We all have shame. Secondly, we're all afraid to talk about it. It's a taboo subject. And thirdly, actually, the less you talk about it, the more you have it. Okay, so if you don't talk about shame, then the more likelihood that you actually have shame. And it's hard, isn't it? Social media, the internet, Facebook, as you look at the advertising that is out there in our world, ordinary is never enough. Being an ordinary person who just gets through in life is no longer enough for us. And Brené Brown uses this phrase. She says, we're all in a world of scarcity where we are never enough, never good enough, never perfect enough, never thin enough, never fit enough, never successful enough, never smart enough, never certain enough, never extraordinary enough. We can never have enough shares, enough likes, enough views, enough enough subscribers. You can ask Joel Harris about that. Maybe like me, your self-worth has been formed around performing and perfecting, and pleasing. I used to live like that. I'm a self-confessed recovering performance addict, and it's exhausting, and it kills you, and it sucks the life out of you. Ashamed to reveal my true self, only as good as my last performance, my last post on Facebook, my last pitch, my last sermon. Isolated, fearful, alone, wearing a mask, fearful of rejection, fearful of what would happen if anybody knew the real, true me. Fearful even to come forward to prayer, for prayer in case someone might look at me and say, he thinks he's a leader, oh my goodness, look at him, what's he going forward for prayer for? Fearful that the edifice that I've created around myself might crumble as some insightful prayer minister prays a prayer over an area of my life that I wish that nobody knew about. Scared to be seen, scared to be revealed, never enough. Feeling that I was a mistake, feeling that I was bad in some way, feeling that I was flawed, a fraud, a, a defective. Surely no one would love me if they truly knew me. Wondering if there's something about me 
that if others knew it or saw it, I wouldn't be worthy of connection. I wouldn't belong. Now, at this moment, I have to say that shame is different from guilt. Okay? We've all felt guilty, guilty for telling a lie, guilty for not doing something that we should have done, guilty for not pleasing someone. We all feel that moment of guilt. But then we can be forgiven and we can get over it and we can move on. And shame is not humiliation, that moment where you wish you just weren't there and the ground would open up in front of you and swallow you up. But we rise above it and we get over it and we move on. And shame is also not embarrassment either. Oh, those embarrassing moments. Why did I ever open my mouth and say those stupid words? No, shame is something more deep down. It's that feeling that we're a mistake, that we're flawed, that we're bad inside, that we're defective, that we're not enough. And Christian environments are the worst for it. We set our standards so high of behavior before you can believe and belong. We set standards that nobody could meet, let alone us lot. And then we pour shame on everybody else because they don't stand up to those and get up to those levels of standard as well. We're the worst at it. Shame. The fear of being seen for who we really are. And you know the tragedy is that the very shame that keeps us from revealing ourselves to others and to God also robs us of the connection and belonging that we so desperately long for and need. Because connection needs vulnerability and shame prevents us from being vulnerable. You see, the bad news is that the antidote to shame is actually being vulnerable. It's actually starting to take off the mask that is hiding the real self underneath. And so we carry on trying to live perfect lives, trying to please everybody around us, trying to bring perfection to our lives. So what does God have to say to us into all of this situation? I hope he has something to say to us because otherwise we're in real trouble. Just before the passage that um, was read this morning so well by Frank, Um, is this verse in in chapter 2 of Genesis and verse 25. Turn to it if you've got your Bibles there. You see, it all wasn't always like this. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked in perfect connection with one another and in perfect connection with God. 24-7 on connection, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, knowing the presence of God, living with them, walking with them. They were blessed. They knew God's blessing. They were called to multiply and to fill the earth. They were called to subdue and have dominion. There was wonder food around. They were working the gardens. They were enjoying the blessing of God. They were enjoying the presence of God. They were enjoying the lusciousness of nature, the waterfalls, the animals, the flowers, the mountains, the trees. They were having a ball of a time. They were in perfect connection with God. Can you imagine what that felt like just for a moment? And then the Bible says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. 
They felt no shame. They had no shame. They were perfectly naked, completely revealed, completely seen to one another. And yet they felt no shame. They were honored. They were blessed in perfect communion with God. They knew that they were enough. Enough in their connection with one another. Enough in their connection with God. They knew shalom, this perfect peace of being connected to creation, connected to their wife, connected to their husband, connected to their family, connected to God in a deep and a powerful way. And then comes in this sneaky snake. And convinces Eve to take the apple from the tree and to take a bite out of it and then to pass it on to Adam and to eat it together. There's a joke going around the internet at the moment as to whether Adam and Eve were the first people not to read the apple's terms and conditions. (laughs) Because then shame enters the world Shame enters the world as they eat the apple. And we read in Genesis 3 and verses 8 to 10 these verses that shape our reality. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And so shame enters. And look at verse 10. They knew that they were naked, that they were vulnerable, that they'd been revealed. And what happened? They became fearful. Fearful of what God might see in them, and yet he'd perfectly made them, and now they were afraid. And then what happened? They went and hid. You know, and this is the reality of what happens when we know shame. You see, we feel shame and we think, I am bad, I'm a mistake, I'm defective, I'm ashamed, I am naked. And then fear enters our lives. What if they find out that I'm naked? What if they find out that I'm uh, flawed? What if they found out that I'm bad, that um, that I have a mistake? They'll reject me. And so we're fearful of rejection and it stops us connecting and it stops us being vulnerable and therefore we hide and we decide we'll control everything around us so that people won't find out what we're really like. As I said early. Uh, Brenny Brown has spent um, the last 15 years researching shame. And we're going to look at how we break this stronghold of shame, fear, and control in our lives. But first of all, a couple of stories. There was a man who had a very successful job in the city. Every morning he would get up at 6 o'clock, get on the train at 6.30, down into London, uh, work in the city, get the train home, be home at 7 o'clock for his supper. And one day he got made redundant. The next day he got up, got his suit on, got on the train at 6.30, travelled down into London, sat in a cafe all day, got on the train back home, and turned up to his wife, who said, how was your day, darling? Fine. 
It was absolutely fine. You see, the shame had gripped him. The shame of telling his family that he'd lost his job. And so for six months, he spent six months going on the train every day into London without a job, trying to get a new one because he didn't want to share the fact that he'd lost his job with his family. Shame had entered his life and he was fearful of what they would say. Would they reject him if they found that he'd been made redundant and had lost his job? When I was five years old, I was in primary school. I'd just started in primary school. That was a long time ago, okay? And in our primary school, around the first week of November, a man from the fire service came in to tell us what would happen if we messed with fireworks. You remember those stories? Yeah, don't go near fireworks, you'll hurt yourself. Okay, and they were very specific. Whatever you do, if you're using a sparkler, when it drops on the floor, don't pick it up again. Well, 5th of November comes, and we have sparklers in the garden, and we're doing them, and lovely, it lasts for a few seconds, and I dropped it on the floor, and I went down and I picked it up at the hot end, and I burnt my fingers. They were red, raw. At that moment, I didn't know what to do. If I told my parents, I was in deep trouble. So I ran upstairs and ran myself a bath, okay? <clears throat> and I put my fingers under the water in the bath. And it, it was fizzing. I mean, the water was trying to keep my fingers there. And the tears were rolling down my face. And um, my mum came up eventually and went, what's happened, what's happened? I went, look, I found it and she bandaged them up. The following morning, I went into school. Miss Wills was there. Miss Wills was the head teacher. I will always remember Miss Wills. She was there, ready. What's happened to your fingers, Simon? Well, they had big bandages around them, didn't they? I could hardly hide them. What's happened to your fingers, Simon? Oh, I burnt them on a sparkler, Miss Wills. Oh, well, we'll bring you up in front of the whole school so that they can be taught a lesson of what not to do with sparklers. So I got dragged up in front of the whole school. I don't think they'd do that these days, would they, really? Dragged up in front of the whole school, and, and, and I was the example of what happened if you disobeyed the rules. But that day, shame entered my life. Shame entered my life. The feeling that I was bad, that I was a mistake, that there was something wrong with me. And I was fearful for 20, 30 years of breaking any rules. Because this is what happens to you if you break rules. So you can ask Heather, I wouldn't even ring the plumber when we first got married. I wouldn't even go to the police station if there was anything wrong. I just couldn't face dealing with authority and speaking to authority. And so I would control my life in such a way that I never got anywhere near breaking the rules. But over the last 10 years, I've had prayer ministry and people have spoken into my life about that rejection. And I've come to the cross of Christ and experienced his forgiveness and his healing in my life. And he's released me to be the person of God that he's called me to be, a child of God who's free and accepted and loved and cared for. This is what shame does to us. And you know, shame loses its power when it's spoken out. Shame loses its power when it's spoken out. It cannot stand you sharing with someone else the shame that you feel and that shame being received with empathy. 
Shame loses its power when it's spoken out. And in order for shame to be broken, it requires us to make ourselves vulnerable. And this is the hard thing, because we think vulnerability is weakness. We think vulnerability is crying, and, uh, but vulnerability is boldness. It's daring to face up to shame head on and say, yes, I am enough. I am enough. But there's an elephant in the room, and the elephant in the room is actually that shame is getting worse in our society. You only have to look at the mental health epidemic, particularly amongst young girls and young adult girls and young adults, to know that shame is getting worse in our world. And social media is playing a part in that because of the comparisons that people are forced to make. You only need to look at Facebook and think about that amazing family who lives down the road, who's always going on lovely holidays, who always has the perfect Christmas, who always has the best dress, who always has the new shoes, who always has the, the, the greatest gadgets, and we compare ourselves, and every time we compare ourselves, shame just lands on us and sits on our shoulders, and we feel again that we are not enough. You see, comparison magnifies shame, and yet the call from God is to let ourselves be seen. One of the problems as well is actually you can't selectively numb shame. You see, the problem is we try and deal with shame by numbing it. Glass of wine, chocolate muffin, caramel latte, fancy football, you name it. How are you numbing your shame? Survive the week, get to a Friday, drugs, alcohol, we numb shame. But the problem with numbing shame is you numb joy as well. You don't only numb the negative emotions, you numb the positive emotions, you numb the courage, you numb the grit, you numb the joy, you numb the hope that can come through. But do you know what the really good news is? Do you know what the really fantastic news is? Because all that Brené Brown stuff is, is fantastic research and psychology. It's absolutely incredible. It can help us in a massive way to speak out our shame and to make ourselves vulnerable. But the fantastic news is that Jesus took our shame and he took all our shame on the cross. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he enjoyed the cross, scorning its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and and lose heart. You see, on the cross, Jesus was naked. He made himself completely vulnerable. Fully God and yet fully man. Exposed for Roman soldiers and Jews who gathered around to see him in his weakness and in his vulnerability. And on that cross to take not only our sin, but our shame as well. John Piper puts it absolutely amazingly like this. It's a long quote, but bear with it. Jesus says to shame, listen to me, shame. 
Do you see that joy in front of me? Compared to that, you are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power. Compared to the joy before me, you have none. Joy, joy, joy. That is my power. Not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me. I won't even look at you. I have a joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You are ugly and despicable. And you are almost finished. You cover me now with a shroud. Before you can say, so there, I will throw you off like a filthy rag. I will put on my royal robe. You think you are great because even last night you made my disciples run away. You are a fool, shame. You are a despicable fool. That abandonment, that loneliness, this cross They're tools of yours. They're all my sacred suffering. And you will save my disciples, not destroy them. You are a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. Farewell, shame. It is finished. And the glory of the cross, the glory of the cross, is shame is finished. It's done for. It's nailed. It's crucified to the cross. It's gone. You don't have to live under shame. We don't have to live under the negativity and the power of all that society has put on us and things that we've spoken over ourselves as well. There is freedom There is joy. There is joy. We pursue joy because we know a God who once and for all crucified shame to the cross and was done with it once and for all. And so what's Jesus' invitation to us? His invitation to us is, will you let me take your shame this morning? Will you make today the day that you rise up from beneath that shame and take your place as a child of the living God, fully whole, where you start that journey of becoming vulnerable, of becoming naked, of enjoying the presence of the living God, where you walk into all the love and courage and joy and fulfillment that God has in store for you. What might it look like to say yes? Psalm 34 and verse 5 is an amazing promise. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. Isn't that incredible? Those who look to him are radiant. They are never covered in shame. But this verse is even more incredible. Isaiah 61 and verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. And there's pain in the journey. Because becoming vulnerable takes courage. Becoming seen takes courage. But there's joy in the journey. There's joy that God has for us. There's joy that we no longer wear a mask, but we're seen to one another. We're vulnerable to one another. We experience the joy of the living God descending into us. We know what it is to have perfect connection with God. 
Because, you know, our shame robs us of connection not only with one another, but with God as well. Because we come to God saying, I know you've forgiven me, but actually I'm bad. I'm a mistake. I can never be good enough to come into your presence. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the serpent. It's a lie from the serpent offering the apple. It's a lie. You are enough because you are a child of God. You are enough because he died on the cross for you. You are enough if you never did anything other to please God ever again. You are enough because he has forgiven you and he loves you with a compassion and a care and says, Simon, you are enough. Kerry, you are enough. Paul, you are enough. Margaret, you are enough. Julie, you are enough. You are a child of the living God. Don't any longer live under shame. Know that release. Know that freedom today. Let me take it for you. Let me take it onto the cross for you. Enough. Shame. You are finished. In a moment, we're going to stand and pray a prayer. It's a prayer of confession to say enough of living under the lie of shame. I've had enough of living under the lie of shame. And Lord, I need your forgiveness for myself so that I can start to walk out a a life fully lived for you. And we're going to give thanks for the cross and we're going to reject the words of shame that have been spoken over our lives and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Now at this point you need to remember two things. One is shame is universal. There isn't a single person in this place who doesn't have shame. And second is I'm going to ask you to stand if you want to pray that prayer and the thing that will be going through your head is oh my goodness I now have to make myself vulnerable. Vulnerability is not weakness. It is courage. It's the courage to say there is a better way. It's the courage to say I'm no longer going to compare myself to anybody else. It's the courage to say, Lord Jesus, I need your help. It's the courage to say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. It's the courage to say, I am enough because Jesus is enough. So would you close your eyes? And as we close our eyes, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, would you just descend on this place right now? And would you move in our lives and our hearts? And would you reveal to us Jesus in our lives? And if God's spoken to you in any way through what I've said, if you've resonated with my story, if you've resonated with uh, that sense of shame, and you want to be rid of it, would you just stand? Thank you, Jesus. And just a word for men. You'll struggle with this more than anybody else. I struggled with it for years, guys. Because our society says, don't be vulnerable. Don't be vulnerable. But the start of you being vulnerable is the start of your healing. And the start of you being vulnerable is the start of your courage and your daring to accept the will of God for your life and the joy of God in your life. If you're battling with that right now, just pray for strength for you, that God would give you courage. I'd like you to, as I pray, just repeat the words back that I pray. They're very simple. 
Lord Jesus, I confess my sin of believing the lie that I am defective, that I am not good enough, that I'm hopeless, and that I'm unable to change. Lord Jesus, I forgive those who've contributed to my forming of this ungodly belief, who've contributed to my forming of this ungodly belief. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for receiving this ungodly belief. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for receiving this ungodly belief, for living my life based on it, for living my life based on it, and for any way I have judged others because of it, and for any way I have judged others because of it, I receive your forgiveness. On the basis of your forgiveness, Lord, I choose to forgive myself for believing this lie. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that it sets me free. I thank you that I can now look forward to a life of joy. And I rejoice in your presence in me. Then let's just pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Father, I claim this promise that instead of shame, you will receive a double portion, that we will, instead of disgrace, rejoice in your inheritance, that we will inherit a double portion in your land, and that everlasting joy will be ours. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that we no longer live under shame. Thank you that you've released us. Thank you for the freedom that's coming in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Just a, a word. Um, you may have stood just then because actually you know deep down in your life that shame needs to be deal, dealt with, but you don't know Jesus. But you're just enthralled by what Jesus can do for you in releasing you from shame. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, then come and talk to me afterwards because he has a life of joy and purpose and fulfillment and you do not have to live under shame. So come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you about that and to lead you just in a simple prayer of confession and of giving your life to Christ. Now is your moment. Would you just shut your eyes a moment because we're just going to imagine something. I want you to imagine a community here where we're all perfectly vulnerable, where we're all seen for who we are. I want you to imagine a community here where our masks are dropped, where we're free to be the children that God has called us to be, where we receive a deeper sense of connection with one another, because of the cross of Christ and where there's an outpouring of love and care and compassion and reality and joy and hope and peace and where we know that we are perfectly the children of God, perfectly loved. Just imagine a place where there's no more loneliness, no more low self-esteem, no more fear, no more hiding, no more hiding, but where there's true freedom. Jesus can do that and will do that. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the cross.
Let's stand to sing, Oh, to see the dawn.